Hey, welcome back to our Texas. After uh, quite a bit of delay, we're back in the saddle, so to speak. I'm one of your hosts, KJ Ellis, here on the uh, Blowout Podcast Network, always alongside professor of history, Dr. Brad Folsom. What's happening? Pretty man? famous. You are, I agree. No, you are. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You, you've been appearing on that Saturday night thing like every week, right? By on, appearing, uh, you banner. mean orchestrating that chaos, mostly. Okay. And then I, I heard you've been tweeted out. Jake tweeted something out about you, and I heard you on the radio on Sunday. They were mentioning your name. Oh, I was not aware of any of this. Yeah. Maybe was, that's uh, why you had messaged me, and you were like, oh, uh, fame, bro. I'm, I, again, uh, I've been oblivious, but... um. It'd be a weird thing to get famous off of, especially since I'm not uh, like professional in any sorts. But you know, a wealth of experience, I guess. Well, people are listening to you, which is good. Everybody wants that. You've got it. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm okay nice. with holding down the uh, the steed of being everyone's, uh, you know, their token uh, black best friend podcaster. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> If there's some genuine authenticity to their curiosity and interest and questions and efforts, you know, I've got no problem in manning that ship. Um, uh, it's, it's been a weird, uh, weird's not a justified word, and I, I don't know that we want to make Is that weird? Like, that. I, I think, it, like, whenever, I don't know, I felt kind of dis- disturbed, you know, like, you know, hey, there's an incident involving black people. Let's call KJ up or something. Well, but you know, like- again... I mean, we were doing that show for weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. beforehand. Uh, and actually, I requested that we make that the theme of the show. Um, you know, and, and I, I genuinely do think that with our show and what we're referring to is for the Blowout Podcast Network on Saturday nights. Uh, this week, we'll actually be doing Thursday nights. But for the past month or two, we'd essentially been doing live streams to kind of give people something to do on a Saturday night of sitting around doing what we would be doing as a group of friends and the conversations we have when we're sitting there getting drunk or hanging out on the weekends. Um, And I honestly do believe if we were in Lake Tahoe, as we planned to be this past weekend, it's the exact conversation we would have been having then. Um, Maybe not as structured because I did try to make sure we did get through more than just saying, this sucks, burn everything down. Um, and things kind of just spiraled from there because stuff was going on live as we were talking. And For those were, who listen to this in the future, we're talking about the police killing of... Yeah, thank you. I, I, what's his of name George, again? Wow, I, I'm gonna, so sorry. Yeah, I feel bad. I don't listen to the news. I swear oh I don't. Gosh, I just know... Historian. No, no, no. So we'd held a round table on that live stream focusing not just on well, the murder what's the guy's of, name though just not so just I don't on the murder of george floyd uh okay sorry but a few of the more other recent uh occurrences Ahmaud Aubrey and um uh, and see brianna taylor is the one that a lot of people forget including myself but uh um it is uh absolutely incredible the amount of outreach that's kind of followed that and it hasn't been outreach from like a, oh, man, hey, so glad y'all did that. There's been some of that, you know, pat on the back, thanks for that, really helped, blah, blah, blah. But more so than that, there's been not just from my, like, close personal circle of friends, but I've had at least a dozen 
to you know probably 15 conversations with people that I either personally know or you know tangentially know that have just kind of had questions or wanted to have talks that they have not otherwise had. Um, in some instances, people that have reached out and apologized, and it wasn't like a oh, I'm apologizing for society, like owning up to some of the things that they know that they've personally done in the past, like in jest or made situations uncomfortable and owning up to that. And it sucks that it takes this kind of thing, but in my position, I don't think it's ever too late to kind of try or attempt or try to figure out how to do something right or something good. Uh, And at least on the surface level, a lot of people are trying that for the first time. Um, And it's not even to point blame or or point fingers, but hey, if this is the leverage or momentum we need to begin to push that rock a little further up the hill, you know, whatever it takes, man, you know, I'm not here to grandstand. Okay, so it, like, I I really felt weird, like I'm going to come in here and talk about stocks and talk about just BS because I was worried, (laughs) I didn't want to be that person to bring this stuff up. Yeah, but by the end of the night, we were watching, you know, want to be a baller and doing all the normal BSing that we did because you know it's weird to say something was cathartic when you're still in the middle of the storm you know and 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 this conversation has changed and evolved and there are things that we'll discuss tomorrow that we didn't back then Um, and the goal of doing it again so to speak is kind of with the intent of making it a little bit more uh, palatable for widespread audiences. Joining us at 9 o'clock to midnight or 1 a.m. on a Saturday night when we are all progressively hammered, you know, almost intentionally so, is a lot to swallow. But there were, for the first like hour and a half, there was a lot of just genuine, raw emotion that I think was very clear um, amongst the group and seriousness about the points we were making. Um, but it's very hard to then like take the audio from that and release it to people to listen to. Because you know, my mom watched a bit of it, and she was quick to let me know that not since like my early podcasts years ago had I used so many F-bombs in uh, basic conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, it's weird because we've done this for years now. You know, We're pretty comfortable in our own skin. I've done the live streams for weeks, even drunkenly for weeks, but... None of those have been just laced with F-bomb every other phrase, and I don't know if it was the nerves of the subject matter or the emotion or just trying to emphasize how serious it was, but it was, you know, it was something unique, and and I'm glad we did it. But um, I also made the comment during that, I want to touch on your other point. Let's say I was unavailable or not a part of the picture. They would have had the same discussion to some extent, with or without me there. Like, and I'm confident about that. Now, there probably would have been all sorts of qualifiers of, hell, you know, we know our position and our perspective and our privilege, but this is how we feel. And to a certain extent, like, I don't think it should be necessary for you to, like, qualify your position, whether it's for better or worse sometimes, if you've got something real and true and honest you want to say. Granted, you run the risk, like, I don't necessarily need to give my historical credentials to come in here and do book reports when we do this show. Like I don't claim to be an expert. Um, and it leaves me exposed to like knowing sometimes I'll get some shit wrong. Sometimes I'll mix it up or get it convoluted, but so be it. But when it's a personal statement, like, yeah, you're exposed to like people objecting to it and thinking differently than you do, but you shouldn't have to like clarify 
You know, uh, I don't know if you heard on Dallas station, the ticket, Bob Sturm's speech about, you know, separating religion and politics when making decisions about social issues. But he began that whole thing by being like identifying it. I know that I am wealthy and a white man, and that means certain things do not directly impact me in the way that it impacts others. Like, I get the acknowledgement and the reason for that because it adds some context and adds some tone. But at the same time, I feel like people shouldn't feel burdened to, like, declare their position before, like, contributing. So I might be weird, but, like, I don't know if they would have talked about the same thing if you weren't there. Because, like, I won't talk about race issues or something unless somebody of colors around because I I don't know what it is I don't know if it's a a fear that I'll come off as a racist or that the other person will talk about racist stuff like and I don't know if that's weird or not but like I I'll only talk about it if there's because like I feel like I'm talking behind somebody's back if I if I don't do it that way and I don't know if I'm the only one that does that or if no that's I, I would say it's person. pretty common but there's, there's two parts there, and so, and I'll talk about it more probably tomorrow, and, and I'm glad we're chatting about it now. Um, I had the discussion. It's a warm-up for whatever real stuff you've No, got no, this is a conversation with someone whose intellect I highly respect, and, you know, you have serious thoughts about stuff, so I'm fine having to talk a million times, especially with you. Um, I had the conversation with my wife, finally, about some of these issues and picked her brain a little bit on it, um, and... One big factor I think that a lot of people are going to have to grasp, and, and I kind of talked through it and began to kind of develop this thought on Saturday, and it may not be original. I don't, you know, it's just the way I'm coming to understand it all, uh, thinking through this daily, is like racism is certainly something I look at like a lot of things that, as a spectrum. Um, and it doesn't mean that there are parts of that spectrum that are more acceptable than others. Although, you know, I think that we could all agree that someone who's out burning crosses and, and lynching people in the streets, yes, racist. Someone who, you know, maybe a hostess at a restaurant and sits a white family in a more preferable location than a black family or rushes one family out than the other, both racist, but, you know, the, the, fur, the hostess isn't necessarily uh, the murdering Klansmen, you know what I mean? Both, you know, reprehensible, but we, we can understand that there's some length there. Now, you dial that back from people who aren't making those, like, conscious decisions and actionable things, and then we start getting into kind of the weeds of, like, unconscious biases and prejudices and things that, like, come from, like, just self-protection. And there are some of those things that would still fall on the spectrum of racism, in my opinion, you know, if and a very baseline description to give is, you know, you're a male or female and you see a female walking down the same side of the street at dusk, you know, you're going to react differently. Well, if you're female and you see another female coming to you, towards you, uh, just jogging, who, who knows, just a standard situation, you're going to react differently than if that's a male. Now, if you're going to act differently, if that's a male of one ethnicity versus a male of another ethnicity, then you've got to be aware that, like, even subconsciously, if you do it, like, it doesn't make you a terrible, horrible person that you had that internal reaction. But I think the conscious decision to, like, identify that, 
you don't need to go run up to the black guy and apologize or whatever <laughs> the guy is and be like, I'm so sorry. I, I, you know what? I didn't even notice I did that. But like identify and like kind of handicap against it. Identify those situations next time and be like, you know what? Hey, for some reason I had this reaction last time. Let me make sure. Obviously, you're not putting yourself at risk. Like I'm not saying, okay, now if one guy had a dog or was wearing a hood and, and, you know, and, and a hook coming out of a sleeve, like we're not going to those measures, but we're saying identical body shape, size, and everything. If you're going to have a different subconscious reaction, then like if you're making the effort to identify those things and check yourself and evaluate yourself, it doesn't mean that you're racist with the hardest R, like the lynchman we talked about at the beginning, but it also doesn't mean that you're free of all these racial tendencies and that somebody who saw you react one way and cross the street, blah, 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 like wouldn't be valid in saying, you know, that was racist. Now, I think a lot of people and, and machine made a comment that uh, there was a polar study and I hate being generic with these things done talking about white voter, white voters versus black voters. When you hear that a candidate is racist, black voters react with more indifference than white voters. White voters are like way more alarmed by this concept or this thing because I think that especially for white people, they look at it as like a permanent stamped on brand and a stain that they could never escape. Like, you know, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, they look at it like they tweeted out the N-word and all of a sudden like they can't delete it. Like, I seriously do think that there are, you know, again, short of, the reprehensible acts of like murder, rape, things like that, and like some of the conscious actionable type things. You know, I'm not gonna go get the guys from Jasper, Texas and be like, oh, they can they can be rehabbed. But I think that people short of those like those actions can identify like, you know what? I've have been looking at this wrong. I have been, you know, approaching this wrong. I have been making decisions wrong. And that that's those those are things you can come away from. You don't have to be a racist forever. It's not a permanent tattoo. Um, people would be valid to be like, you know, that MFR used to do this. And some people can possibly never forgive you for it. You don't have to announce it to the world. But, like, if you self-evaluate and be like, you know what? I do have a tendency to prefer this over that or, you know, only feel comfortable in these settings versus those. So, like, that's one part of the conversation you were talking about to kind of tie this back together. A, I think people need to be comfortable with thinking of themselves as racist or, or evaluating themselves like, you know, how racist am I? Maybe I'll make a board game for people. Um, but besides that part of it, the conversations I think that have begun to start now, I hope, uh, and, and the question that a lot of people have found themselves playing bumper cars and trying to ask is like, what can I do? How can I help? Um, I think... And then I've seen some tweets alluding to it. It's, it's not necessarily just reaching out and having conversations with any com connections that you have or listening to podcasts or seeking out all this information. That's good. But let's say you get to that point where you feel informed, you feel comfortable, you feel confident in your position. I mean, it should be as comfortable for white people to have the conversation amongst white people as it is for black people to have the conversation amongst black people. No different than, let's say, you were discussing the treatment of women, you know, out of the mindset that you're the father of a daughter with another male, and there were no women in the room. 
and, you know, you'd be like, okay, hey, there's a certain line or that's not cool. Like there are things ingrained in you where you start to make those connections. Like you feel comfortable standing up or drawing a line or whatever. You know, we're both pieces of shit. We're going to make our jokes. We'll, we'll get our giggles off. But like if at any time you thought of me as someone who had like any ill will or negative tendencies, whether it be towards women or children or whatever, like you would not hesitate to be like, no, that's fucked up. And so I think beginning to be comfortable as we are with those kind of conversations when people that aren't represented are in the room um, to the point with race and be willing to risk that maybe I'll say something that they may interpret differently and be uncomfortable with because then it's part of that evaluation. And for them, like, if the worst thing possible is you find out that someone has some opinions that need to be checked or questioned or prodded or explain yourself on that or why is that or where'd you learn that type thing? Um, you know, it's perfect timing to have some of those discussions. You're not going to walk away like baptizing people. This isn't like go out and be a missionary. Um, but maybe you help make sure that they're not that next hostess sitting somebody in the wrong side of the room, you know, or walking past somebody and treating them differently. Because even if you know you're not making those decisions, if you're interacting with people that are, and maybe they're doing it because they were taught one thing or they grew up learning one thing. This whole podcast is about not necessarily misinformation, but lack of information about certain subjects. And maybe these people just hadn't listened to any of our episodes. <laughs> and, and I think you can be a vessel for that, especially for someone as respected as you are as far as, like, you know how no. things are the way they are. No, I'm not not respected whatsoever. Like I, all this stuff makes me uncomfortable, and I was immediately going to try to cut it with a joke, but maybe I'll hold off. <laughs> Be like, uncomfortable, uh, you know, though. Maybe, you know, you've been in many more off. uncomfortable situations. In fact, you have verbatim said that you enjoy making people uncomfortable. I do, and revel I, I'd in like those settings. I like to make people uncomfortable, you know, regardless of race. But I. I I, I would assume I do that, but I don't know. Maybe I don't. I, I don't you know. Do. Like, I don't I, think that has anything to do with your terrible lines of comedy. Okay. Like, all right. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to check my racism because there's a black guy that wears a weighted vest. And I think if that, and I'm like, what's that guy up to? But if it was a white guy, I think I'd automatically say douche, you know, like, why am I thinking differently about a guy in a weighted vest? And like, I'm questioning myself right now. <laughs> why am I giving this guy a different view than I would like, I'm thinking like, what is this guy? What, what's, what's his story? You know, cause yeah. that's interesting. But I don't think that though, like, I think we can still make like, what the fuck's a weighted vest for? Is he trying to lose weight? Again, I think we can still make free, free, like judgments. <laughs> automatically but, assume. but again, you're making those on again, the content or the actions of that person. The decision sure. to wear said vest, the decision to do those things. Now, the moment that you begin saying, like, you know, all, all the time to see these black guys in this vest, like, then it's like, all right, you would even know that it, you're in the wrong waters. But it's not a negative connotation. And so, like, I don't think that's right either. You know, like, I think maybe I should. There are positive the ones guy. that are just as bad, though. And, and sure. you know, uh, you look at it, you see it in sports all the time. Um, you see it in. Um, fashion or the the thing that I loathe the most growing up is that you would see qualities and traits attributed to one race or another and the positive ones like I don't know proper diction or uh, conservative dress or having a job or 
being on time would likely be a, you know, a, uh, attributed to one race. And then, I don't know, things that we would look at as positive, like knowing how to dance, having rhythm, uh, being cool, you know, being like all these like throwaway attributes in society that like, yeah, we value them, but they're not tangible, monetary, actually like things that matter um, without some extra push. Uh, you will attribute those to another ethnicity. Um, See, I always feel weird, like, because, like, with uh, Sean Lee, they always say coach on the field. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, this is just racist like stuff. The, but con- then, the concept of lunch really exactly. coach on the field, you know, like, that's a, but a weird. It's, it's the phrasing that when used consistent, like, it's that coded language when only attributed to certain people. Like, yes, Sean Lee is a coach on the field, but you also need to then have them say that about Byron Jones when he was there or Demarcus Lawrence or other athletes that don't look like Sean Lee. And then maybe say things less like, Oh, he's a freak of nature about, you know, only athletes that look like David Irving. Like, so those kind of things come up in sports too, coded language and code switch talk, stuff like that. But I think they're getting better at it. I I really do. Like I, they're getting more exposed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think they're getting a little bit better because you'll hear them say about white athletes, you know, like, This guy's a Christian piece. McCaffrey or whatever. Yeah. He's, I, he's I think it's funny to see how that whole issue of coded talk and like people realize what they were doing over time, how it translates into um, not to become all sports talk all of a sudden uh, into draft profiles. And so people like go out of their way to circle the block and say what they're trying to say. Like, you know, an innate ability to, uh, get to the passer like they won't they don't want to say natural or gifted or uh, anything that doesn't sound like you know, an instinctive ability to uh, drive the ball off the line or whatever stupid stuff like that and like they don't want to be like oh this person never worked for what they can do now and this person scrappy athletic first in the gym last out like lunch pail exactly <laughs> yeah well so I appreciate think- I mean I appreciate you uh, even reaching the topic or broaching the topic, whatever the phrase is to be used there. So what do you think about all the, uh, like I, when I say that I, I really, I swear I don't watch the news. Like I, I don't know anything about this it's except what I hear on the proud ticket, of, but go on. I know, I know, but it's just, <laughs> you know, part of it is I, I feel I, it just suppresses me. Like modern news depresses me for so many different reasons. I love to be a, um, what is it? A penguin who's, ostrich that sticks their head in a hole and pretends things are all right like just creates my i will say that i do appreciate that about you in the sense of like you can be informed and well prepared for conversations without having to consume every piece of information that is out there like you don't like people trick themselves and thinking like oh i just want to be informed i just want to uh be well read and then like think they have to be a subject matter expert on every single topic to have a discussion about it and maybe it's the history part, you know, kind of looking at things like you know, if you're a pro chef, like you can kind of put the ingredients together and understand where things are going to come from. Like you probably understand when these elements are in place, these outcomes have happened several times over. So you don't need to know every detail, but I do appreciate that about you. You appreciate my, my ignorance. I appreciate, no, I appreciate, I appreciate your ability you to appreciate uh, me for not reading no, or for not having to be an obsessive about modern day news because that can be unhealthy as well. Boy, I, some I'm worried about 
just things in general, not the not protests or violence, because I think that, you know, that stuff does legitimately t- to change uh, and positive change, you know, agitate, agitate, agitate. You know, that's how you get things done. Um, the thing I'm, I'm worried about, and like this is something I don't know if people discuss, but like last time this happened, nobody from what my, again, little viewing was offered any solutions, you know, like, and it was not, it was just, this is bad, but there was nothing, this is what needs to change. And I remember like, even when I brought up possible solutions, like I was talking about rubber bullets instead of regular bullets and stuff, like people would almost get offended that I would be trying to fix things. Like, and and this is my thing, problem with women. They always try to, when they want to complain about their boss, I, uh, I said, well, maybe your boss first, I play devil's advocate and then I, I'd tell them how to fix it and they do not want to hear that. So, um, so I, I don't know if that's what's going on here. People just don't, I don't, I don't know. Is, are people offering solutions? Yeah. Is what I'm wondering. There, what is this? What do you think the solutions are? Oh, geez. Um, let me look up what it is. Okay. So not to well, actually, uh, but the outcome of the last time essentially went through this 2014, 15 and 16 Ferguson, Mm -hmm. Tamir Rice, like all of those situations up until the Dallas shooting, um, or not up until, but like that time period, the Obama administration released a, guidelines set of guidelines no different than like the cdc began to do for coronavirus of like social distancing and all of those things they put out a big report called the task force on 21st policing century policing and it essentially was at that time if you remember like the eric garner case in new york the guy who got choked to death choke i don't know choked to death uh and then there was a person in louisiana who similarly was like handcuffed and struggling with cops and was shot while on the ground um and so following those incidents and then some of the other things, they released this large report, no chokeholds, utilizing, you know, emphasizing de-escalation, and there were recommendations that came from all of those things. Now, as we all know, police force and local governments are all mandated at an ultra-local level and through unions and states and cities and all of that stuff, county sheriffs involved, Texas or not Texas State, you know, police, uh, state department, whatever, state department's involved. So because there's all of those layers, you can set out these guidelines, but as we saw with COVID, like states' rights and all, and yeah, whatever the fuck, I'll do what I want. You know, this is Dallas. Um, so we had a, a hodgepodge of acceptance of those. And unlike, or actually just like with COVID, when you have – uh, a non-uniform approach on how to interact with the community, you're going to have a non-uniform compliance with how to interact with the community from a police force standpoint. Even if the laws on the books in that city are one thing, people are going to react a certain way in one community and in another, and they're going to move about these communities and not work on, they're not changing their rules as they go into your city. It's not like don't text and drive in Arlington where, you're going to see 10 signs. Hey, in this community, you know, we will shoot to kill or whatever. Like, you're not going to see that kind of awareness. So because it was never really uniformly applied or, or accepted across a lot of communities, it was never really effective in that manner. Um, and I don't know that you can come up with those things at a federal level and come up with a solution, but 
my you know uh, breaking news preview uh, proposed solution if I you know I had discussion again last night when challenged say okay well then what would you if you're an organizer or if you're a protester what things coming out of this like how do we get out of this um, I think first um, we probably need less comment or less commenting and less tweeting um, from a certain president. Uh, oh. I think that is something that is definitely continuing to fan the flames of protest. Um, because even if on a local level, like in Fort Worth, you saw the police chiefs like have conversations with the protesters one day after it being a little bit more aggressive. And I think in places like that, the conversations can subside. But what's going to wake people up the next day and say, you know what, I need to get back out there is when over the news they're seeing the president say, well, you know what, I'm going to release the military. And now I'm going to be out protesting that message. And so I think that's a step one. Regardless of your support or lack of support, whatever, for that person, I think we could all agree it's not contributing to a positive outcome or at least not accelerating our, 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 our approach to it. Um, part two would be to have any proactive, and I think cities are just now catching up. Like, it shouldn't be easier for teenagers on the Internet to say, hey, every single person out there post a black square to your social media, and then every single person out there do it, and that catch fire quicker than, like, a local government can say, hey, we're planning a meeting, we're setting up a session to talk, to listen, to have these discussions in an organized fashion. And I know COVID makes that difficult, but, like, if you're going to have people in the streets already – you need to just bite the bullet and be like, okay, we're going to all rally outside of Dallas Union Plaza. We're going to have security checks. We're going to have speeches, blah, 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 whatever it is. Like there should have, you should have been in front of the, the, the protests after at least maybe the first night, everything else like that, you should have action plans in place to rapidly respond to get community communication going. Like that should be in place, not just you may not have all the solutions for every situation that comes up, but we should know, like, when a tornado is coming, you know, we all know to get your shelter in place. Like, you can educate an entire country on, like, how to react to these situations. We should all know when this shit happens, we need to go to this step. The process um, and the solution can be different, but, like, this is the action in which we can communicate with the government from a mob mentality to government action, like, it's harder to do yelling in the street and tearing shit up than, okay, we need to meet in the street or we need to meet at, you know, whatever, lookout point, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So that's, that's step two. There needs to be a proactive plan in place for these situations that accelerates lines of communication. Um, and then third, uh, I think it's more on a personal level and it's doing what we're doing, what we just talked about. And I think that the personal efforts I want to stop shy of like kind of like contribution shaming or like effort shaming because uh, early on like I'm in kind of like I don't want people to feel gun shy about how to do something right here. Um, but I think we will have a better impact as opposed to saying, hey, go buy black products and donate to these black causes and give money to the black community like something feels gross to me of like these events happen and we're like, all right, hey, just, just put money in there. We've got to just get money over there. The problem is there wasn't enough money in the black community and that's why we're here. 
It's like, and nah. I don't like the Best Buy president emailing me, telling me he's going to be taking action. I don't think that does. They're based anything. in Minneapolis, so I, he has a reason to do it. Oh, he does? Okay, all right. I, I mean, it's just like, it's a, again, I got it from like socks, crazysocks.com and I think one other random company, um, CNET or some BS. Like I've, I've seen them emails too, those emails too. But I think those things are great. You know, what can I do? How can I help? Like, how do I contribute? Those things are important, but I feel kind of slimy when the first action is support local, support black, like buy these things. Like, yeah, great. Go find out a black restaurant, support them and keep them important. Sure. For sure. But money being so close to what we're saying, go do as a solution doesn't feel as right as like, Hey, here are scripts for you to go sit down and bullet points to have discussions on how to educate your bigoted grandmother. Here are conversations that you could go have with your kids. Here are conversations you could have with your coworkers and give people talking points and understanding that there are people who aren't racist consciously. And like we just talked about, or like ever would make any conscious decisions in a racial manner, but think that what's going on in the black community is just an outcome of like, Oh, well, it's bad parenting. Oh, well, school system's bad. Or, oh, well, uh, you know, the economy's down. And it's like they'll blame one thing or they'll blame something, you know, like education was the excuse that I heard recently. And I'm like, what part of education led to George Floyd laying on the ground and getting killed? Like, the cops' education? Is that what we're talking about? Like, because that's not what you meant, but, like, there's no part of hey, if he would have went to better school, he wouldn't have been there. Like, maybe you're saying he wouldn't have had to use a fake 20. But hell, let's say he didn't know it. Whatever. Like, the, the course of actions, the actions didn't result from bad schools. Um, I think if we want to talk about fixing black inequity, yes, we can talk about those things. But when people come up with that excuse, maybe beginning to explain to them, you don't have to give a 120-year history lesson, but we could start at reconstruction and work through redlining and work through... Jim Crow laws and everything post civil rights era that still didn't fix things through. Um, I always forget the, uh, what's the uh, EEOC uh, hiring uh, people of color, diversity uh, hiring law. What is that thing? Affirmative action. Affirmative action. Talk through that, those efforts and the pushback to that and the broken parts of that. And then like, you know, and I don't know, talk about the, Food deserts. Like, there's so many places you can go with that conversation, but the answer is never just, well, if they would have better teachers at that school, then all black people would have been better. And it's like, oh, well, why do they have not as good teachers? Oh, that school's just crap. All right, well, that's fine. Why'd you vote for this person? Well, I want to keep my taxes low. All right, well, where would that tax money have gone? (laughs) Like, and then you start connecting the dots in their heads, and they're like, I'm not racist. I love all the black people I know. I just don't know enough good ones. But uh, maybe I would know more if I also wasn't actively, like, keeping the money out of those communities by making decisions X, Y, and Z. And so it's impossible to, like, vomit all of that on people. But I think we would be better set coming out of this of, like, continuing to help people have these conversations. I've got a question for you. and Like, I'm worried this is going to sound bad, but, like. I hope it does. Did for the past three years has this not happened? And you know my. What do you mean? Why, why are you saying it three years? Are you saying oh, like four years? 
presidential term? Four years, or are you talking just since, like, the uh, Dallas shooting? Dallas shooting. So 2016, correct? Yeah, 7-7-16. So is this... Is this did this stop happening for four years, or is in my conspiracy theory is this just being brought up again because it's going to rile people up, and then old people are going to get scared and vote um, in one direction? Um, the why now question um, is that a common thing? No, like it, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. It's 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 something I think Machine tried to discuss, but I, I'm trying to think through it here on the fly. So I think there's a few few factors here you have the amada aubrey incident that occurred like in early march in georgia where a black man was essentially chased down and gunned down by a father son that were not police two white men in georgia um because they were suspecting him of stealing stuff from a construction a home construction site the homeowners previously said like people stop in that site all the time like nothing was ever missing from the home have it on camera, he got water and left. Like, even if it was suspicious, it's not uncommon for people to kind of go be nosy around construction sites. And again, even beyond that, I don't care if he was stole like fucking gold brick out of the house. Like, it was not their house or their duty to defend and or anyone's right to chase someone down and murder them for theft or burglary, basically. Um, you know, even if it's your own home, when they're out of the house and running away, you can't shoot people in the back when they're the property. So they shot him? Is that they chased again? him down and murdered him basically okay. in broad daylight. Struggled with them, one got a gun and, and killed him. Uh, and it was all filmed. So that happened. And then you have in Louisville, Brianna Taylor, where she's at home and similar to the um forgive me, it's a lady in Fort Worth, Atiana Smith, I want to say. Um, just at home. And this story, I don't know all of the details, but in short Cops were serving a no-knock warrant and bust into her house and either her or another person in the home who was a homeowner there had a gun, you know, drew their gun in defense because, again, your house just got busted into. Police fired shots, killed this woman in their own house. Come to find out, it was the wrong house. The wrong house. And that happened recently again? That happened shortly before last Monday. Okay. This was the week before. Um not only was the wrong house, the other house was 10 miles away. Not only was the house 10 miles away, but the person that they were serving the warrant on was already in police custody. So, like, it was just a utter cluster. cluster. And so not only does that happen, but in the process of going through all of this, at one point there were discussions or thoughts or maybe even charges brought to try to charge the man who drew the gun on the officer's inside the home it's like when he was legally well, possessing his... a gun yeah yeah so that was effed from three ways from sunday and occurred in kentucky and then you have this happen in minnesota so those three things sequentially happening kind of like in 2016 where it felt like we we're like one after another after another after another where not all of them had the same backstory not all of them had the same like cut and dry black and white situations but it just seems so regular like the one that kind of helps you know jump things off was not just the Ferguson. Ferguson was really more the verdict, like the murder happened, but it was kind of the verdict. We had Trayvon, which was one of the big early ones, but the one in Charlotte was the one where the guy um, had car issues, car broke down or wrecked or something, and was trying to knock on, um, uh, knock on someone's door, and 
the lady called the cops, and the cops ended up killing the guy that was clearly knocking on the door asking for help about his car. Uh, and that was, and, I, and again, the names escape me at this point, but like that was in North Carolina, which led to the Charlotte riots, which those were some of the first to escalate to where like you got people on streets and then Missouri. So there's a lot. But anyways, the why now, I think you have those three sequential events um, over the course of 30 days. Do you think if we went to February 2017, we would be able to find three similar things? So are there these things happening all the time and we just pick the time to, to go crazy about it? Like we either get fatigued no, or... I don't think... Only in, in... I hate when we get like media attack cliches, you know, blah, blah, blah. When people are like, oh, well, people of this color, or these people get killed all the time by cops and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, as well as we know the Nancy Graces and you know, Fox Newses of the world, what story would you love more than like, you know, hey, this person was wrongfully killed and unarmed and, and blah, 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 and it happens to white people too. And I'm sure that they would then fall on the sword and be like, well, it wasn't the cop's fault, but, you know, this happens everywhere. Like, they would probably run wild with those stories. And on the flip side, there's no, you know, redder meat out there than when you have a cut and dry. We have the video. We have the background of, like, the victim didn't pull a gun, wasn't, you know, quote-unquote, a bad guy. Um, If these situations had occurred where there wasn't any justifiable reason for it to occur, we probably would hear about it. Um, We've had a lot of situations locally, and I think the other factor, um, let me correct that, we would hear about those things because we've heard about them even like in Dallas. We've had two issues. A Hispanic guy stole a truck off of 35 in Royal, like right there in... Um, like area like Korean, uh, Korean shops and, and Chinese uh, like uh, bars and banks and stuff like right there kind of by um, Harry Hines-ish a little bit. Uh, Hispanic guy steals a truck. There's a police officer. I don't know if he's off duty or acting as a security officer at the time standing in the parking lot and the dude who steals the truck drives in like a huge bow around the cop like clearly not directed towards the cop at all like in the video makes it very clear that his life was not in immediate danger like the guy was basically scraping along cars on the other side avoiding the cop and the cop pulls out his gun and fires like six shots into the driver's side window and kills the guy right there in the parking lot all over the stolen truck um and that guy eventually was arrested i don't know if he was ever indicted or convicted but he was arrested quickly there was a little bit of grumbling about that locally but again arrested quickly in Carrollton there was a police officer who heard a car getting broke into in his apartment complex um, by I believe in this case as well younger Hispanic kids and this cop was black and the first one was a white cop Hispanic kids again Hispanic kids black cop in the second story cars getting broke into the kids the cop runs out draws his weapon like in the parking lot I don't believe it was his car and it may or may not have been Kids hop in a car and drive off. Cop hops in his car, chases them down like three or four miles down the road. They wreck, and at some point, the cop kills one of the kids. I don't know if it was while shooting and driving or whatever, but the cop killed the kid like several miles away from the house after chasing him down. And it was not a cop on duty. It was a cop like at home, out of uniform. Um, and in that situation, again, there were some rumblings for a day or so, and then the cop was arrested. 
I think the big thing that has created some of these situations is when there's a lag or a delay between the action, the event, and then you get a video, and then you get a response, and then at some point you get an arrest. And if you get an arrest, maybe you get an indictment, maybe you get you know conviction, but those things take time. But if there's a lag time between like a response from the police department and an arrest or some sort of punishment, and then there's a video of it, and the evidence is pretty cut and dry, I think that's when you get these things. And we've had three back-to-back, and oh, one wasn't even a police officer. You know? So Yeah. So this is such a, a weird situation, because my initial response was always, you know, like, cops, you know, they're, they're being too much, they're going too aggressive, mm-hmm. because they're, they're such a small number compared to the total number of police in the U.S., a small number getting killed. Like, um, it's like 16 for 300,000 every year or something. I, I don't know the exact number or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then I heard something on the ticket there. It was like they, they had a police roundtable or something. And, like, they, they say the average life expectancy for a police officer is 63 years old. Like, that's weird. I, I don't... Yeah, I would imagine that they're probably... Other stress factors, and eating yeah, and it's more stress and eating in the hours that they're working more than if, if that's in fact true. It could be, and, but I don't know that I've ever heard that. Um, I think that's what the guy said on there. And like, so, you know, is it, you know, I, again, I don't know what the answer is here, but like, is that going to... I feel like if that were fully the case, and again, I don't, I've never heard the set, so I don't know. Okay. My, my initial curiosity and doubt would be, you know, a very dumbfounded question of like, you would think then their unions could lobby for more money you know it's kind of like uh the whole zeke elliott thing like if my if running backs careers are shorter and i'm valuable then my my pay per year would be higher maybe they're making it so this is the thing they're making a lot of money like the uh, the average police officer at in the town i work in three times as much as me now that's actually with that's, i take it back it's not three times but like it's three times with one weekend of overtime they work at like at cowboy stadium or something right right and and yeah. you know they could make 100 grand money like that but like yeah it's it's again i i still think that no one would ever stand in line aside from you know the people who do city councils and whatnot of being like yeah raise the money uh, if it's like financially possible but um so i think the sequential events all with having the lack of follow-up and you know justice like just now today Nine days later, the other three police officers were finally charged and will be arrested. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot. Like if, you know, obviously police officers don't have to answer the same rules as citizens, but when the gap is nine days between when I know you were involved in a murder or you robbed a place with three friends and your friend pulled the trigger, but we know you were there and we've identified you, it's not going to be nine days between your arrests. Again, it shouldn't be the same, but nine days is a big difference when we feel like things are pretty cut and dry. Um, so I think the lack of follow-up adds to it, but also it's, it's probably not far-fetched to think summertime um, adds to the amount of participation in the protests. Um, the level of unemployment adds to the, you know, energy behind, like, when people are struggling, the sympathy and empathy for someone using a fake $20 bill, like, is not going to, is, is going to be a lot higher. And then when people have been cooped up at home, 
it's going to be a big deal, especially when two weeks before we've got people protesting with rifles and getting a complete, <laughs> drastically different response. So I think all of those factors boiled together, and then you don't see some sort of resounding, endearing response from your leadership. It's just a bad biz. I, I, I you know, skeptically believe that things like this take time to f not fizzle out, but just to naturally reduce in participation to where people like are at the table and discussing or like people feel comfortable with not going out every night to protest. But I, so I don't see this stopping this weekend. I'll say that. <laughs> I was my kid. I, I would normally hide her from anything, you know, that's bad about the world, but she walked in and heard, you know, something on the ticket about it. And she said something like I tried to explain it to her, you know, like this police officer, because I don't want her to not trust police officers and everything. But I was trying to say he's overly aggressive and like, he, you know, this and and um, uh, and she's like, oh, he thought he was Batman, you know, like, oh, the guy with a sword. No, no, no. Like oh. the, the, the uh, with the George. I, I, is that his name? I, I, I always are the, the guy Zimmerman? that got choked up. Oh, 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 name. George Floyd. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Sorry. So, like, is, is the police officer, like, is this society, like, maybe over violence or something? Or, like, every, and then you had the, what was it, the uh, Blue Lives Matter with the Punisher thing or something like that? Oh, is yeah, this that's... a, hell, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm uh, maybe just taking too much from what a six-year-old said, but I thought that was kind of poignant that, you know, maybe he thought he was uh, in a, something different than a peacekeeper or whatever. I don't know. Sorry, one second. I will. Uh... Right now, KJ's looking at his phone and yeah, being incredibly it, uh, rude. Out of nowhere, I had like three back-to-back -back work uh, messages, and, and uh, not saying we started this before the old bell rang, but uh, we did. Okay. Um. So let me back up. What did your daughter say? She Just thought it, that the, the guy was, or she thought maybe he thought he was Batman. Yeah, like the police officer thought he was Batman and is trying to do Batman things. I mean, for me, that would probably more be like, do police officers view people that look like that to have capabilities that they may or may not have that leads to more aggression? But again, I'm not going to sit there and have that conversation with a kid. I'd view it as the Joker. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, uh, I guess to ask the question to you, you know, your daughter's what, four, five? Six. Six? Damn. Yep. I, to what extent have you had any conversations about like there are people in your class that look different or, you know, anything like that? Like to what extent have you discussed race at all? I try not to like, this is my weird thing. I think that if you start bringing that thing up and this could be a complete wrong approach, then they start noticing things and they start forming different opinions in your head. But if you tell them everybody's the same, except for some people have different skin color, then they don't even think about it, you know, which I don't know if it's the right way to do it. And, and again, I mean, it's my whole shoving my head in the sand philosophy. I think you use whatever they're familiar with. You know, I know she's familiar with Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Got Pokemon that all are Pokemon. And this is, some, a, this is a horrible. Way I know. To do I it. think it's fine. I think they're all some that, you know, some that look different. Some that have different skills, some that do different things, but they are you all... You know nothing about Pokemon. Oh, well, whatever, you know. Some people are Mew. 
I don't know. I stopped like after the first four. But use something that's relatable, but explain, you know, the level of quality. But also maybe at some point have the discussion like there are going to be people who are dumb who think that you are better than somebody else just because of how you look or that somebody else isn't as cool as you are because of how they look. And that's ridiculous. The Pokemon um, have very different powers. Like, agreed. I mean, there's whole you were very good at being uh, an imbecile and a historian. And nope. I'm okay at like Call of Duty and like, I don't the know, Pokemon expert <laughs> more than I am anything else. So I, I think nope. that you can utilize that just to be like people have different jobs and different skill sets. <laughs> I guess. Some people are mechanics, some people are doctors, whatever. Listen, I think I'm telling I you, think I think uh, you go with Animal Crossing or whatever. Figure out what you uh, what you want to pick, and you relate it from there. You, you let me know because uh, I'll have to use your cliff notes, and I don't know. Do, do we, you so. have time? Do you have to get your stuff? Because I have a couple of things I want to talk about. No, hit your stuff. I'll shut up. I've talked way thing. too much, man. Okay. I mean, are you, are you sure? I mean, is there anything else? Okay. No, no. I, there right. wasn't even any of that. I didn't expect to go into, but I, I'm glad we did. Okay. Um, stocks. You do stocks. <laughs> I love the approach where it's like you walking up to Mike and you know, telling people to tip their waitress. Stocks, you guys. You guys do stocks. No, I don't do stocks, but uh, uh, I'm interested to hear how you even know what the word is. Okay, so I've not had expendable capital. I had, I don't even remember how I had it, but I got like some money and I bought a new car because my car was breaking down a couple oh, years back. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, you're then, talking about two years ago or whatever. P- Papa Trump, you know, sent me that $1,200 check, and then I got my first tax return in years. Like, I wasn't getting a tax return because VA, whatever, all this other stuff, but uh, I got one and I got a new computer to stream. Which, by the way, if you want to go to my YouTube channel, Historo, I'm going to be having historians on there to talk about video games occasionally. Um, go there and you can see that. But um, another thing, I, I have found myself with expendable money, and I started getting into stocks, and uh, like two of them went up 100% in, in a week and a half. 130% one of them did. Like, uh, is this... I want you to tell me I'm good at this. I want you to tell me that what I'm doing is exceptional... I want to ask why I put somebody esports. Who? Because my my thought was old people don't know what esports is, and the whole deal here is you're not trying to pick what's good. You're just trying to pick what old people think is going to be good, and they're going to be seeing esports and they're like, oh, esports. They're two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years behind the curve, but right now they're going to be realizing it. So, so I'm investing what they are going to be thinking is good. And then I'm beating them uh, to the punch. So that's my stock market tip. My stock market question would be, what are the odds that you're not like, all right, well, I'm going to cash out and bro down in less than five years. Um, No, that's, I'm just going to bro down in five years. There's no other option. Like I've got it figured out. I'm just saying like, you're not going to get to like December and be like, you know what? This was fun. I'd like that money back now. Well, maybe, but yeah, I mean, there's a very good chance I'll be broke in a, in, a, in a week or two, you know, like, I mean, that's probably, once I learn how to do options and whatever that other thing is where you can basically bet on it, 
I mean, the money's gone. I, that's no, that's no question. But for right now, I'm uh, I'm thinking to myself. Well, I respect and, uh, it. New computer, new phone, new man. I got, I got new it. phone. I got yep. I like I'm it. I'm living living the life right now because because of, of Papa Trump. He's he he gave me all this money. I won't, yeah. I won't get behind that. What's your other thing that you had? So I've got a bunch of his history stuff. I I don't know if it's good, if it's appropriate. A bunch of uh, riots from the past, like with a bunch of unusual circumstances. Um, and, you know, my whole philosophy is, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff has happened before, but we've all basically, you know, different parts interacting or whatever. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So I've got a couple things that, you know, I can talk about that if, if you want to do it. I mean, we're past our time. It looks like you might have to go for work if you no, need no, to. No, 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 I'm good. I just was, uh, yeah, wrapping up the day. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Laredo smallpox riot? Mm, I feel like one of us has mentioned it, but not, not discussed it in depth. I don't think I talked about. I might have mentioned it. I didn't talk about it in depth. In depth, but um, I found some, you know, instances kind of similar, but you know, a little bit different than what, what we've got going on okay. today. But so, uh, 1898 in Laredo. Um, there was an appearance of smallpox, like, you know, smallpox had pretty much been eradicated in, in most areas, vaccination, um, but it hits in Laredo, uh, a substantial portion of the population, Mexican, there was not as much vaccination among the Mexican population. So you started getting this call for, um, what would you call it, involuntary vaccination, I guess is what you would get. Like, we've got to vaccinate uh, this portion of the population so we can end this epidemic, so what you got at the end of 1898 was um, the mayor basically calling for a quarantine and saying people have to get a, a mandatory vaccination. First, it's just a quarantine. We're quarantining, uh, and it was in specific areas, particularly the Mexican area. You know, in a good chunk of that was there was actually a, a greater outbreak there, but basically they had this uh, a large scale uh, vaccination, and so. You got what we had a couple months ago, or I guess kind of still today, um, this forced quarantining of significant portion of the population. Well, months go by, goes into 1899, there's still smallpox outbreaks. This is when you start to see this, we've got to do something, we want to end this quarantine. And you also get the people that are quarantined start saying, hey, we need to work. We need to get out of here. We, we've been cooped up. We need to do something. So what you got is um, the mayor of the town started calling on the share or on the Texas Rangers first, the local sheriff, then in conjunction with the Texas Rangers, to basically try to get people infected with smallpox, throw them in quarantine cells, and um, and then end the smallpox epidemic that way. So involuntary, and then just basically through the barrel of a gun. I think is one of the quotes I read. Uh, of vaccinate people. So you had uh, the Texas Rangers and the, and the sheriff going around, uh, uh, start throwing these people up. Well, obviously you had this Mexican population uh, upset about, you know, not getting out to work, not being able to leave their town. And you had um, people start protesting. Now the sheriff heard a rumor that somebody among the Mexicans was ordering bullets from the hardware store like they were going to fight their way out. Like we saw that, you know, people like guns protesting, that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, before. So what we got is then the Texas Rangers went and went to investigate it. Well, the Rangers are not popular among the Mexican crowd for 
valid historical reasons, which is one of those things I always wonder, like Texas Rangers is such a cool name, but historically there's some questionable stuff there. But right. um, anyway, uh, so when, day, the, but, you know, we don't get all that. when the Rangers go there and, and start arresting people there, it was basically this, um, uh, this one guy, let me get this name right here. Uh, well, actually, the sheriff of the town, um, sheriff was named Sheriff Ortiz, a former deputy named Herrera, uh, was supposedly the one organizing it. Now, people debate whether he was actually organizing anything or else he was just upset about things. But they went to go arrest him. Somebody shot, uh, supposedly, at the Texas Rangers. They started shooting back. Herrera's killed. A number of other lawmen are shot. And basically, you had an armed gun battle between local police and Texas Rangers. Uh, eventually, um, the crowd uh, of uh, Mexicans that are upset about the situation starts rioting and because they, they went to go get Herrera's body. Um, basically, they, they then confront the Texas Rangers after shooting Herrera, and Texas Rangers opened fire into this crowd. I think only one person was killed, um, but a number of people were hit by these bullets. So I just thought that was interesting that you had very similar incident to all these protesters and stuff, but it's also with a different twist to it, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess it would have been interesting to see if we hadn't have broken down the quarantine, if we'd broken down the quarantine in more suspect ways and not like statewide. I mean, eventually we did go county by county and stuff in some places. Um, but w- if it was a like a virus, like would we, there's a vaccination for like, how would people have reacted? Right, right, right. Especially if it was something that like was concentrated in a specific area, like would there have been social more, I mean, and there were towards Asian people, but would there have been more social ostracizing if we identified like, Oh, this has a certain impact on certain population and is extremely transmittable. However, it wasn't deadly for them, but for others specifically deadly, kind of like coronavirus is and whatnot for some people. Um, but like, would we have gone out at some point and said, okay, now we're going to quarantine all of these people, these specific people. Uh, that would have been very curious. Okay. So that, that was just one weird twist on, on a, a instance we're having now. Um, another one you want to, uh, uh, we're going to talk about reconstruction. Um, there, so for people who don't know Reconstruction, the basics of it, you had Civil War. Texas joins the Confederacy, um, fights in the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy at the end of the Civil War, 13th Amendment. Uh, United States uh, forces come in, Union forces come in, occupy Texas, enforce the 13th Amendment. Juneteenth, you know, not, not immediate around Texas or anything like that, but you're now free, you're no longer property. There was a lot of hiccups, road bumps. President Johnson wasn't really helping matters. Uh, and Reconstruction sort of gets slowed down. States take back over. They got this amendment to the Constitution. You can't have slavery anymore, but they basically put in these black codes. Sure, you're technically free, but you can't be out past certain times a day. You can't vote. You can't um, uh, uh, testify against whites and juries, things like that. And it was all but slavery basically in these states. Federal government comes back in after, um, you know, Republicans get get vast majority of Congress, retake over construction from the states, put in place the 14th Amendment saying, you know, supposed to have equal treatment under the law. You can't just ban uh, certain people based on color from um, 
you know, uh, testifying on juries, that type of thing. It's supposedly equal protection of the law amendment, 15th Amendment. Uh, you can't take away the right to vote based on race, uh, color, previous servitude. You know, we've talked about here. There are other ways to get around that. But um, in part of this Reconstruction, what then happened is with the 14th and 15th Amendment is basically what happened in Texas is it said that if you serve the Confederacy, for the most part, if you serve the Confederacy in any capacity, not exactly, but close enough, um, you can't vote. So what basically happened, it's, like, it's a lot more complicated than this, is pretty much whites couldn't vote in Texas, mm-hmm. um, but blacks could now vote. So what happens in 1870 is you get tired. this re- Republican-controlled government in place, and you get this guy named Edmund Davis, who was white, but he was a radical Republican. Yeah, you'd say radical Republican. I, I don't know if uh, some people would characterize him that way. But he basically wanted to, you know, ensure the rights of freedmen, things like that. So he goes out, he hires a police force about half black. So now you have the state police that are black in a predominantly white um, southern state. The whites can't vote for this brief period of time. Um, and they see this this governor as illegitimate, which is one of the things I've been reading about. Like, well, you have problems in democracies when nobody uh, views the government as legitimate. Well, this creates a lot of tension, and this tension actually erupts in uh, Limestone County when this guy, and this guy sounds like an interesting character. His name's Merrick Trammell. He's a member of the oh, state police. Yeah. You, you, you've heard about him? I believe so. Okay. And I've heard that song, Limestone Cowboy. Really? Okay. I don't know about it. I've never heard that. Limestone Cowboy. That's a rhinestone cowboy. Close, close. That, 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 okay. Anyway, because um, he does become a cowboy, like be anyway. So, a white man was drunk and intoxicated, and I can't remember exactly. He was disturbing the peace somehow. I think he was yelling or something like that. Been drunk for a couple days. These black state police, including Merrick Trammell, go to arrest him. Um, they arrest him. Two of his buddies are drinking buddies, two other uh, white guys that were drunk, when then started complaining and basically said they were going to go bust this guy out and they were going to shoot the black cops uh, and there's going to be trouble. Well, then the black cops uh, confronted this guy, those two guys, and one of the white drunk guys pulled a gun. And I don't think that's in dispute. There's going to be some of the issues here, things in dispute. But then the black police officers shoot the guy that pulled out a gun. Now, some witnesses think that he had his back turned. Now, it turned out that wasn't true. The uh, first part of it were uh, gunshots were in his uh, torso, the front of his torso. Um, So, you know, he had pulled the gun. Well, now you have black police officers killing a white guy that, people are saying was innocent shot in the back or something like that. This is, a, this is during the most racially, you know, a crazy time in, in uh, Texas, even, you know, when compared to today. And so what happens is you get this white mob form and it's going to chase these black police officers, including uh, Merrick uh, Terrell. I hope I'm uh, saying his, his, his name right into this mayor's office. So you basically get all the whites and the, and the name of the town is, uh, uh, Grossbeck. Grossbeck, it's a, uh, where's it near? It's, uh, Limestone County. It's, I, I think that's. Uh, Limestone County.
wherever the hell that is. Uh, but basically what happened is you now get this white mob rioting, demanding justice, probably lynching of the black police officers. And so you had the governor um, declaring martial law, sends in the state police, which are again, white and black, you know, 50-50 or whatever, uh, to s- restore order. But there's almost this armed confrontation between the um, uh, this white mob. Well, actually, the white mob, before the state police come in, uh, you know, when all those four black officers are, are still in the um, uh, locked in the house, they go to the black neighborhood. And I believe they, they basically had heard that the black area of town was going to be arming themselves. So they went there to prevent them from arming by shooting people. And they shot a, a, a black gentleman that entered his door. He's like, you know, he didn't know what the hell was going on. Uh, but there is almost this confrontation. But finally the police come in and they're going to, take the four black officers into custody. Now, I wasn't clear on this. So what I uh, got this from, it's a book called The Governor's Hounds. It's the Texas State Police from 1870 to 1873. Um, but from what I gathered, the police officers ended up getting off on the charges. I, they, I think they were faced with them for a while, but um, they ended up getting off on the charges. But uh, Merritt Carroll, after this, he obviously being arrested and being accused of something he didn't do. Uh, and then after 1874, you have Democrats regain control. You have uh, restoration of white rule in Texas. Not, they're obviously firing the black police force uh, when that happens. Well, he loses his job. He then becomes this outlaw, and they start calling him Terrell the T- Terror. Um, and again, like there are a lot of debates over what's true or if this is the white population uh, making up these rumors about uh, Trammel. I'm sorry, it's not Terrell, it's Trammel. I, I knew I was getting the name wrong. Um, but the Trammel then goes on, and after this he becomes, um, he'd actually been a, a pretty prominent uh, a police officer during his time besides this. He'd arrested somebody that was uh, close to John Wesley Harden. But then he, um, after this, he becomes this sort of, uh, Bandit. I'm trying to find the exact phrase of it. The supposedly, yeah, uh, trammel the terrible. Negro there we go. Desperado has clear has killed four white men in Mahia or its vicinity. People are yes. very tired of it. If Trammell will be caught, he will commit. Uh, if Trammell be caught, he will commit future offenses. Another part of these mundane spheres, overriding, he will find himself grievously trammeled in all how nice uh, in all his movements. And however, America. <laughs> will hang if he will hang if caught. Like they worked his name into the words of how they were going to handle him. Governor yep. Coke is most anxious as to capture Merrick Trammell as Ireland to gobble the whole demographic Democratic Party and a little net spread with the Telegraph. The governor offers three hundred dollars for Trammell, but Ireland would give a thousand to keep all the little arrangements uh, affected to secure the secessions. Yeah, successorship, which isn't a word we use anymore, to the gubernatorial throne. Austin yeah. Statesman. And I think he eventually was caught and killed in uh, uh, 1875, I believe. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting story, uh, a riot story. Um, there's another riot story I'd never heard about, uh, Longview Race Riot. This happened in 1919. This is uh, 1919, post-World War One. you had a lot of... Uh, uh, white soldiers coming back and finding their job had been taken by 
you know, immigrants, but also uh, a lot of blacks, especially moving to North area, uh, Northern areas and, and big cities. And there were a lot of these white mobs that would, would go into these black neighborhoods. Uh, well, there's one actually in Longview that was instigated because, and I, I don't even know if this is true or if this just was something that was put out, but a black reporter is a teacher in, in Longview said that there'd been a lynching where the people of Longview had lynched this black man because he was dating a white woman. And I don't even know if that part was true, but a white mob attacked the black reporter for just reporting it. Um, and so what happened after that is then you started seeing this uh, basically black mob come to uh, defend him. And then a white mob forms to counter the black mob and you're going to have this uh, uh, standoff between the two uh, that's going to end up leading to a, a number of arrests. Um, uh, more black uh, mob members were arrested than white mob members. Oh. But but uh, but I was actually, when I was reading it, it, it wasn't a ridiculously uh, different number, which, you know, is, is not something you, you would expect in 1919. It was, uh, uh, although convictions might be a little bit different than actual arrests, so... Um, anyway, that was, I, when you hear about these 1919, 1920, 1921 Tulsa race riots, um, I didn't know that they counted this, this one in Longview among the 1919, uh, uh, white mobs that you saw. So anyway, those are all good stories where you see similar issues, but with different, uh, played out in somewhat different ways. You know, so a lot you're of the saying same, this isn't going to happen again ever. I'm saying, I don't know. It just, after reading this stuff, it depressed me, you know, like you, you, I don't know. Like it actually really depressed me. Like, uh, we just go through a lot of the same stuff, but with, you know, one part replacing a different part and things like that. So again, this is part of the reason why I stick my head in the stand and pretend everything's okay and describe people as Pokemon. No, I, w- I wouldn't do that. I, w- I wouldn't do that. Try that, it out. Let me, let me know. Let me let me know how my pre-dad uh, skills are brushing up to work out. So, um, as always, I appreciate anyone who's listened this far. You can find me on Twitter at KJ Ellis with ones as the L's. You can find Brad at Historo both on Twitter and on YouTube. So go to go to Historo. What I've been doing, and I'm going to try to do this. I get video games, or and I basically invite one of my history buddies on there, somebody, you know, has got a doctorate, it's an expert in the field Basically and I'm playing not. the game and I'm asking if stuff's true. We, we actually talk about some of this post civil war stuff uh, with red dead redemption two nice. in one of the videos. And then um, the other one I did was um, um, assassin's creed. Uh, the one in France, we walked around there and I got a, a guy that knows a lot about the French revolution. And he explained a lot of things and we're probably going to do some with, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed, the the pirate one. I got a, a, a woman I work with that's going to get on there. And so we're going to do... Uh, I've been to Iceland, so if you want to do Valhalla when it comes out, I am available. I can tell you like four things about the country of Iceland. Vikings are dumb, man. I, I, I hate to say that, but uh, like there's the, the Valhalla trailer and it's got the Viking killing the big English guy. And like I, I'm it, for the, that big so English guy. Up. Yeah, they're going to see you so screwed up with some of that stuff. Um, but anyhow, go find Brad at Historo, H-I-S-T-O-R-O, on YouTube, correct? Yeah, Historo channel, but but you search Historo, it would be up there. Yeah. 
and I, again, I don't know how often I'm going to do that crap, if ever. Well, the videos are up there. Go watch them. Hit that like yeah. button. Hit that subscribe button. Make Brad uh, some, give him some comments in the, uh, in the comments. And uh, yeah. One other thing I forgot is we did have a listener, uh, Justin, who's listened to a ton of our episodes and went back through some of our episodes looking uh, to see if we discussed a specific thing. I sent that to you. I'm fairly aware of what it is in general, but can't say I'm an expert. It's certainly pre-1900, so I will uh, pass the ball to you, uh, at least to talk about what that is in short, and then we will go at length to discuss it in the future. So the they sent us the Articles of Succession, Secession that uh, Texas had um, in 1861 when all the other Confederate states were seceding, Texas uh, well, not all of them seceded yet, but a good chunk had. Texas calls these conventions, basically send these delegates. We're going to decide if we're going to secede or not. The convention votes, hey, we are going to leave. These are the reasons why. And it's this document listing. We don't like the U.S. because of this, 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 and this. And, you know, I hadn't read through it in years, but I, I look back over it. And, and, you know, I can describe the whole thing. It's one of these things that – uh I mean, it's very clear and it's very ties into the history of the time. So maybe we can talk about that in a future episode. Excellent. We will hit that then. But uh, again, appreciate you listening. And uh, that is the show.